Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Greg Barnes and Jason Staples. And Greg, we'll start our Thursday pregame podcast like we have for the last several weeks. Injury list report came out. Now it's Michael Carter who goes down, Carolina's leading rusher. It just keeps building up. Miami comes to town. The Hurricanes bring their number eight ranking and undefeated season to Kenyon Stadium on Saturday. Greg, it's another one of those games that, you know, on paper, certainly, Carolina doesn't have much shot, your take. Yeah, definitely not. When you consider that Michael Carter being on that injury list, I guess the good news is is that they have the same number of players out this week as they did last week. It's 21 both times, but you're essentially replacing uh, Jalen Dalton on the out list with, with Carter. And if you go back two weeks ago to Virginia, North Carolina had three explosive plays. They aimed for 10 a game. They had three. And guess who accounted for all three of them? Mikael Carter. It, it wasn't Jalen Dalton. <laughs> it was not. It was not Jalen Dalton. It was Michael Carter. So uh, for a team that is desperate for explosive plays to just you know, take some pressure off this offense, to not have a guy like Carter who has proven that he can provide a spark um, really is just kind of crippling. And we know how bad the offensive line has played. We know that the wide receivers just are not at the point to be able to consistently uh, create space to make the catches they need to make. So you're already kind of relying on tight ends and running backs. Now you're down really to one scholarship true running back. I mean, I know Jonathan Sutton uh, is an option there as well, but he was a linebacker just a couple months ago. Uh, Stan Truitt's out, Michael Carter's out, and Antoine Branch is out. So those are your three of your expected four deep guys at running back to start the year are out for this game. And so North Carolina's offense is, is running out of options. And when you're going up against this Miami defense, which was really good last year, and they pretty much returned to everybody, so they're even better, <laughs> it's going to be really tough for North Carolina not only to score, but to get, on to, to get into Miami's side of the field. Jason, let's get right into Miami's defense. We've talked before. You think they may be a little better than Virginia Tech. What did they do differently than Virginia Tech did? Because we saw that game. Virginia Tech had its way. Um, it looked like men playing boys. But what does Miami do differently um, to be just as good, if not better, than Virginia Tech on defense? Well, I mean, they actually take a fairly similar approach in terms of they're a high-pressure defense. They're going to try to get after you. Manny Diaz was uh, was a guy who he actually came from Florida State, worked a little bit under Mickey Andrews for a while, and really is has taken a very Mickey Andrews kind of approach, you know, the longtime defensive coordinator under under Bobby Bowden. He He very much is a guy who has followed the example of his mentor there. Now, he'll do a little bit more in the way of zone blitzes and a little more complexity than Mickey used to do. I mean, Mickey would go through whole games where Florida State would basically run jet robber the entire game, which is just let the ends upfield, let the ends eat, let the defensive tackles loose, and then play cover one robber behind it. <laughs> they do that in like 90% of the game. And that's, that is a lot of what Miami plays. They're going to get up and they're going to challenge your receivers. They're going to turn their defensive line loose quite a bit. 
and they're going to let their linebackers flow downhill aggressively. They're not doing a whole lot to try to confuse you. They're trying to whip you. And, you know, they believe that they, they have athletes and that they can make your life more difficult by simplifying and playing fast. And like I said, you know, they, Manny will sprinkle some other stuff in there. I mean, they'll, they'll throw a wrinkle in, you know, with a blitz here and there or a zone blitz, or they'll, they'll rotate their coverages or trap you just when you're starting to get uh, accustomed to seeing the same look and they'll, they'll disguise some, but, but for the most part, what Diaz does is he believes in, in applying a lot of pressure and forcing teams to beat you left-handed. He believes that, you know, you identify the three or four th- plays that that team depends upon. You identify the player that that team depends upon on, on offense. You do everything you can to take away their best player and the couple things they do best and force them to beat, beat you with their counters. And if they can do that, then congratulations to them. If, but at least make it difficult so that they can't just do whatever they do well. Now, I'm actually curious at this point on what Diaz and that Miami defensive staff have identified that UNC's offense does especially well right now. But that's another question. But again, what they're going to do, they're going to try to apply a lot of pressure. They're going to take do. I think the number one thing is they'll try to take away any run threat. They'll play downhill. And if you're going to beat them, I think you have to take advantage of their over aggressiveness, use misdirection. This is a good, a good game for, you know, a few different ways of sprinkling in a reverse or, you know, jet sweep action with a, with a screen to the other side, things that force that defense to get their eyes and their bodies move in one direction and, and go the other for something. That's, that's the way that you're going to get plays against what, what Manny does. Jason, looking at the stats, it, it's kind of sobering for, for North Carolina. Uh, Miami ranks third nationally in sacks per game at three and a half. They rank third nationally and tackles for loss, just under nine. And the crazy thing about those stats is that they have 19 players that have uh, accounted for a tackle for loss, and they've got 10 players that have gotten sacks. So we're talking about a very deep unit, and Diaz's ability to, to bring pressure from wherever he wants to, even though maybe that's not a staple of his. You know, for a North Carolina offense that had, you know, especially an offensive line, that had such incredible issues last week against Tim Settle on that Virginia Tech front. What What is the key? You mentioned jet sweeps, but, but what else can this offense do to be effective? Because you can't run trickeration every play. You can't do some jet <laughs> sweeps and that type of action. So how do, you, how do you have consistent success? Doing that with what UNC has out on the field right now, I don't know that there is a good answer. I can tell you that the UNC staff is sitting in their, in their meeting rooms going, what do we do? That's what I'd be doing. Now, you're going to come out and you're going to say, okay, well, we can try these things. We can do this to get a wrinkle out of, that, out of that and try to set up some shots. But really, you know, what you have to do is you have to find a way to be able to execute some bread and butter plays. And you, you saw that, the attempt to do that against Virginia Tech. And, you know, on my video, on one of the videos that I broke down this week, you could see them trying to establish a quarterback power run with Surratt. And it worked on an early drive. You could see them getting some yards with it against Virginia Tech. And then when they went back to it a little bit later, Tech made one little adjustment. And all of a sudden, three defensive linemen came completely free. And Surratt got knocked out of the game. And it's that sort of thing right now that given the shuffling around, given the, uh, the state of the offense in terms of personnel, 
even the the base stuff that you depend on being able to run. And again, that's, you know, typically North Carolina has been an inside zone team. That's a, that's a gap power play. I mean, that's, that's what they're trying to run. And that's pretty generally pretty simple, but they're trying to, they're reaching pretty deep in the bag to find some stuff that they can do to, to generate some yards. But the, the main thing you have to find a way to do is identify what three or four things can we do to manufacture enough yards for a first down or two that we can get each drive just so that we can change field position and give our defense a chance and then maybe have a grab bag of some shot plays where we can we can move their eyes a little bit and get some big plays and that's how you how you're going to have to be able to beat this kind of team north carolina is not going to beat miami by consistently moving the football on offense it's not going to happen not with this personnel situation not with who miami's putting out there so what you've got to factor on is how can we manufacture a first down or two each drive we don't score and then let's say maybe we get four big we manufacture four big plays and actually score touchdowns on them we give ourselves a chance to win that's what i'm thinking as a coaching staff is what say six or seven shot plays can i bring into this game where i've identified a lack of discipline in one player that I might be able to take advantage on if I run this play three or four times to set up another play that'll be a shot over that guy's head or some sort of throwback or whatever to create a big play. Can I get four of those to get to 28 points from big plays and then maybe get something else? Maybe you get a turnover and maybe I sneak out a win. That's how I'm planning this as a coaching staff. I'm also trying to do some stuff on special teams, you know, maybe, maybe a few little little creative things there, but that's the only way you're going to win this game. Jason, let's address, uh, you know, sort of Carolina getting behind the chain seem, seemingly on every drive against Virginia Tech and how you avoid it against Miami. And it was discussion on the message board, and people were talking about how loud Lane Stadium was and whatnot. Lane Stadium and, is not loud. And folks – Just not. Not on and, the field. Yeah, and that's what folks – some folks – seem to forget that it's different in the stands when you've got people right there screaming at you, but on the field, it's a little different. So what do you think the issue was for North Carolina's offensive line in that game and, and put it to the Miami game? I mean, they, clearly they cannot do that again or to be very <laughs> oh, they similar. Can. Oh, well, they, they can, they, but it'll be very similar can. results. So <laughs> how do you correct it? I mean, how do you fix that? Yeah. I mean, I think again, First of all, keep in mind that most of those false start penalties came after that game was already out of hand and the crowd was already kind of out of it. So we're not talking about a, a crowd problem. What we're talking about is those, those started coming after the, the offensive line was getting their tails kicked. And normally, false starts like that happen when offensive linemen are so jumpy to try to get every little advantage that little microsecond advantage of getting to the defensive line a little quicker pass setting just a little bit quicker they're worried about getting beat because the guy's been exploding around them and running circles around him so all of a sudden you're thinking about that you're thinking about that you're thinking about that and then you forget the cadence or you 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 lose your focus on the fundamentals of making sure that you don't move until it's time and then you combine that with three different quarterbacks in the game. And each quarterback has a little bit different cadence. Each quarterback has a little bit different way of calling stuff. And that exacerbates that. And, and this is something to watch for. I mean, I don't know how many people watch games other than North Carolina. But watch what happens when 
an offensive line unit suddenly has another quarterback come in. It happens all the time that you see a false start on that first or second drive or more than one after a second quarterback comes in. Well, North Carolina flip-flop, not only did they have three quarterbacks play, but they went Surratt, then Surratt got hurt and went out. And then Harris was in there for a while. And then he got hurt and went out and Surratt came back in. So that's really three, that's, that's three different things back to back to back. Then Surratt went out again and you put in Nathan Elliott and they, they basically had four or five. I can't remember if there was another change in there, but they had four or five changes at quarterback. And that also makes that complicated. So in, if it were me, and I knew that I might not have the same quarterback back there for a while because of injury or whatever else. One of the things that I'm doing, especially at home, is I'm thinking about having one of my guards or the center actually call the final cadence. So, and, and some teams, particularly in the shotgun, will do this, where the quarterback will call the signals that are necessary, call the play or audible, whatever, and then he'll give the Omaha or whatever it is to the offensive line, and the center actually then is the one that will call the hike. So, you know, the center may call on two or whatever. There may be a, a color for that or whatever, but the center is going to be the one, the one to do that or the left guard or whatever, but normally the center. And so that then becomes what the line does. That might be one solution for that that would help if having different quarterback cadences are a factor. Otherwise, it's just you, you got to find ways not to get your butt kicked so that you're not trying to get that advantage, which then just reinforces getting your, getting your butt kicked. Jason, it, it would be reassuring if we could go to the other side of the ball and, and things looked a lot rosier for North Carolina. But uh, to be honest with you, when you, when you kind of go through Miami's offensive stats, they have averaged 6.4 yards per play or more in five of their six games. The one game where they did not was against a, a very stout Florida State defense down in Tallahassee. And even then they averaged, I think, 4.6, which is not terrible. Uh, what really kind of stands out to me is they lost Mark Walton, who was an elite running back, but Travis Homer's come in, and he's been very effective. He's averaging 7.3 yards per carry. Malik Razier has done a very nice job kind of in his first year starting. And while he's not fantastic, he's 14 touchdowns against three interceptions. Miami is fifth nationally in turnover margin. They've only coughed up the ball four times in six games. So they, they're very efficient in what they do. They may not be this high-scoring, you know, very explosive offense, but they get the job done. So what's, what's kind of the key for North Carolina's defense to, to limit the damage that, that Rozier and this, this offense can do? Well, I mean, they, they are very much an RPO-based, with some read option stuff in their based offense at this point, which you know, is a bit of a change for, for a traditional Mark Richt offense. He's mixed some of the the old Rick pro style stuff that, you know, I came up on. I mean, that's, that's the stuff we ran when, when, when I was down in Tallahassee, but he's mixed a lot of that with some RPO concepts uh, that, you know, run pass option concepts that give Rozier the opportunity to either hand off or read a second level defender, which North Carolina is very familiar with because Carolina does a lot of it. So, you know, that's one of the things that they do, but really if you're going to stop Miami, the number one thing you've got to do is you've got to, you've got to find a way to limit Travis Homer on first and second down. For them, it, the, 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 the running game and finding ways to stop him with your front six, if you, can, if you can limit their running game with six so that you can keep some guys over top 
and you can you, you you're not forced to to gamble on that RPO and give Rozier easy throws, you got a chance to stop them. The game, obviously, I I paid the most attention to was was their win in Tallahassee. They didn't cross midfield in the first half against Florida State. They 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 had I think like twenty three total yards in the first half. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I mean they it was it was ugly in the first half because Florida State was able to limit their running game and basically completely shut them down. Then in the second half, they they found just a little bit of of space, and you could see some of that some of that started to change, and they were able to score just enough to to win that very ugly game. The other the other thing you really have to do to stop them, they've got a great receiver in Amon Richards, uh, the sophomore uh, kid with a lot of talent. But really, the key to their passing game is if it's me, I'm making sure that I've got some some extra attention paid, whether that means making sure MJ Stewart's the guy on him, although that, again, takes MJ potentially off of Amon, Amon Richards. Stewart has to be on Braxton Berrios or Amon Richards. Braxton Berrios is the, is the key to their pass offense. He, he's a lot like some of those slots that, that Clemson's had the last few years. It just finds ways to get open. He's a lot, uh, a lot quicker than defensive backs seem to realize before he's all, all of a sudden on top of him and then over top. And, you know, he's been there like 18 years. So, you know, he, he really has learned how to run routes uh, in his uh, long college career. But that's the other guy I'm spending a lot of a lot of time making sure that I've got extra attention paid to him because it's hard to cover guys in the slot and guys that really know how to use their bodies and run routes in the slot. I mean, again, a, a Ryan Switzer type, those guys are really hard to handle. So to me, I'm coming into this game trying to take away Travis Homer on first and second down and limit the damage that Braxton Berrios can do, especially on third down. And I'm pretty pleased if anybody other than those two and Amon Richards, who I'm just paying attention over the top, if anybody over th- other than those guys is the guy that really beats me, well, I at least made you, made you beat me left-handed. You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. We'll be right back after these messages. Greg, have you sensed any sort of frustration building around Carolina's program? I mean, Miami brings a, a stout team. They're coming off that Virginia Tech team. Coach Kapilovic seemed a little disappointed or, or less positive in his interview this week than I've seen. Um, your take on the mood, at least, uh, around Chapel Hill, because this is a game, uh, a noon game. It's, what, their ninth straight. I mean, it's rough for these players, but they've still got to manage to get up and play a ball game on Saturday. Yeah, that's really the challenge, because they understand kind of the situation that they're in. They're down a tremendous amount of bodies. Uh, I think everybody kind of knew this was going to be a rebuilding year. And I, there is a lot of frustration. I, I really think the frustration more than anything, though, and you touched on it with Kabilovic, is not that you know, they're just getting pounded by doing the right things. As as Cap said, you know, sometimes you're going to line up and you're going to put your, your hat on the guy that you're in front of, and he is going to beat you. And as long as you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and you get beat, the coaches can live with that, especially for these young guys. The problem is, is when you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And those are two different issues. And I think fans kind of miss that sometimes is if, if you're just getting beat in the trenches or you're missing a block or whatever, uh, the coaches can be like, oh, you know what? He, he's, he's learning. We can teach him how to do this. He can pr- improve here. You know, there, there's some positive there maybe. 
But if a guy's just whiffing or he's not where he's supposed to be or he's he's not doing the right thing, that's where you get frustrated because these are the things that you work on every day. And so there's two different components there. But in talking with like MJ Stewart and some of the other guys, they're doing a really hard job, really tough job of, of trying to get these guys to stay united. You know, after the Virginia Tech game, Larry Fedora walked in that locker room and said, look, guys, when things are going bad like this and you're losing a lot of games, it is very easy to finger point. You know, and he knows firsthand because that's exactly what happened in 2014. I would never forget the locker room scene after that uh, quick lane bowl game in, in Detroit because we didn't talk about the game, which they got the rear end kicked by Rutgers. We talked about the locker room dynamic and how people were pointing fingers at each other and how it was not a good scene. And we left that locker room thinking, all right, this thing could just fall apart on Larry Fedora. And he did a heck of a job that offseason kind of getting everybody back together. So he knows what that looks like. And so he's really harped on that, of making sure these guys understand that things are tough right now, but they only get tougher if you if you fall apart. you got to stay tight. you got to keep engaged. Um, and you, they're saying all the right things. How that actually plays out, we'll have to watch these next couple weeks. Uh, but that's really the challenge, I think, and the frustration is both with that and not having more success, not necessarily because they're getting beat one-on-one, but because they're getting beat because they're making so many mistakes. Good stuff there, Jason. We talked about that earlier in the week. You, you've got to figure out a way to keep them positive, and Larry Fedora <laughs> and his staff got his hands full. What positive <laughs> can come out of this Miami game? I, I mean, look, people are going to get mad, but – I think if they play well and get beat, that's one thing. They just didn't play well against Virginia Tech on top of Virginia Tech wearing them out. So is that what we're looking for here on Saturday from Carolina? Yeah, and and the thing is, again, if you're not frustrated as a part of the North Carolina, North Carolina program right now, if you're a coach and a player and you're not just really, really frustrated, then you need to take serious stock in whether or not you should be coaching or playing. The, the reality is that if you're a competitor and this is the way your season has gone and, and you're dealing with the stuff that they've dealt with, you need to be frustrated. And so, you know, that, that's, that's part of that. And what you have to do as again, for anything good to come out of the Miami game, what you're trying to do as a coaching staff is to, again, de-emphasize the outcome guys. We're not playing for just for wins and losses here yeah we want to beat Miami but the thing we've got to focus on is why we are or are not having success can we get better at the things that we've not been doing well can we continue to improve on the things we've done well and can we show growth even if we lose this game can we at least evaluate that we played better and that we're growing in stuff that's going to continue to make us better as a program that's continue, going to continue to make us better as players? Can we continue to, to, to evaluate what's working as coaches and so on? That's what you have to do. You have to make it, again, it's, it's like anything. And you know, think about this for those out there, again, who may not have played or coached or whatever. The key is to think about it like you would say, breaking a bad habit. If you just launch into, well, I'm just going to break the, the bad habit, you're probably not going to succeed. What you have to do is you have to establish little goals and take it one hour, one day at a time and 
yeah, you know what? I, I didn't, I didn't do what I'm, I didn't do what I was trying to break. I didn't say, um, or whatever in that gap that time. And I, I'm, I'm getting a little bit better. And you get to the place where you're getting a little bit better each time and you may fail a bunch in the process, but as long as you're focusing on the actual process and you're seeing that improvement, eventually you can get to the place where you're practicing what you're really hoping to practice. That's what you're doing at this point in this kind of season. You're saying, can we get better? Can we, can we hang in there? Can we do the things that we're, can we execute and do the things that we're trying to do well enough that when we go back to evaluate, we can say, you know what? That's a lot better than we did two weeks ago. Good. Let's keep doing that. Let's keep, keep growing there. That's where you try to go. Cause if you're just trying to go out there and, and you're trying to win, first of all, you're not going to get better and things are going to just get increasingly frustrating. I mean, I just got a tweet from someone who follows me on Twitter, who, who covers the uh, covers Florida state. And he just took a look at uh, David Hale's uh, tweet of uh, for those of you into horror and gore, here's this week's UNC injury report. And he retweeted that tagging me knowing that I, I cover Carolina with words that can't be fully said on this uh, family friendly show. Holy uh, shnikey. And then the next, uh, n- then tweeted after that uh, in reply, you could feel the starting 11 with their out for season injuries. So that's a little perspective of someone from outside the program who's not covering Carolina, who just saw this and went, oh my gosh, like that's a starting 11 just in their injury. That's the situation you're in. You have to understand that as a team. You have to understand that as coaches. This is the hand you're dealt. So now the question is, you can, you know, again, everything's about control what you can control. Understand that there's lots of stuff you can't control, but can you get better at the things that you control? And that's got to be the focus. That's where the positive stuff comes in. Last week, we didn't make this block. This week, we did. All right, we're getting better at the things we can control. That's what you focus on. Good stuff there. Let's go to predictions. We do it every week. We might as well keep doing it. Who wants to go first? I'll go. I'll go. All right, Greg, you're up. I don't think this is going to be as ugly as last week. How about that for a prediction? Hallelujah. I think I think North Carolina and Larry Fedora uh, will probably get his, his punting cov- coverage unit a little bit um, more in line with where they need to be. That is his bread and butter. That's his pride, that, that punt cover unit. And, yeah, the bodies are an issue, but I think he'll lock that down and say you won't get some of these outside of the offense phase scores necessarily. Uh, and so I, th- I think because of that, Miami is not going to score quite as much. Um, I, I still think North Carolina is going to have an incredibly tough time scoring the ball. They will probably score some something late, kind of like they did at Virginia Tech. Uh, but I've got this one, 35-7 Miami. Jason, you're up. Yeah, I, I think this is going to be a, a whole lot closer than last week, which, you know, that's uh, a low bar to set. But um, I, I'm in a very similar mode to, to to Greg. I actually think that this Miami team – I'm I'm not really sold still on Rozier as as a quarterback, even though again he's been efficient, like you pointed out, uh, earlier. But I, you know, I just see this again. It, you, I don't expect uh, Miami to to come in and lose to a North Carolina team that is basically fielding at this point an FCS roster. But I do think that that North Carolina's defense again, is probably going to be able to to limit a lot of what Miami does, particularly with Jalen Dalton back out there. 
so this probably again stays a little closer than closer than the experts think to throw a little corso in there uh for a half and then again i think miami starts to the, the depth that they've got comparatively without all those injuries starts to add up i do think my i do think uh Carolina probably is able to, to get a, a big play in there. So that changes, changes it a little bit. I'll go with uh, Miami 31, North Carolina 13. Interesting. I think Miami is disinterested. I think Carolina still struggles to score. I'm going to say 38 to seven. That's pretty close to what you said, Greg, but I, I just don't see Carolina scoring unless they do pop a big play or have a turnover for a touchdown. Good stuff, Greg. You and I will talk at the Inside Carolina WCHL Tailgate Show. Jason, I'm sure we'll talk to you again on Sunday night, but that'll do it for this one. Thanks, boys. Thanks, Tommy. Thank you, man. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.